Today I'm joined by Vivian Hoskins. Vivian is a senior IT leader in the UK nonprofit sector. Her most recent role is the IT director for Action for Children. In today's interview, we covered a lot of ground from how she deals with low performing teams and employees through to how she deals with her own imposter syndrome. The conversation with Vivian today was fascinating and I could have spent hours talking to her. I hope you also enjoy the conversation and the insight Vivian gives, but most importantly, you take action. Okay, Vivian, so what do you see as the role of a manager? Um, So I think as a leader, you have a responsibility to both the teams and the organisation. And when you start in a role, there are some really key things that you need to do to help you to achieve and to deliver value. Essentially, when you start in the role, you are playing playing the role of detective. Um, And as detective, you're finding out about the organisation, the team, the expectations, the areas of excellence, the areas for improvement, what are the cultural norms? And I think if you do these critical things and build them in the way into the way that you practice, it will really help you as a manager and leader. So the first thing is, I think you have to really uh, start digging into the organization's strategic objectives. What are the expectations from you and from your teams? And then you need to find out about your team. And I know that sounds really obvious, but you wouldn't believe how many times I've had a new line manager and they don't take the time to do that. So I think, and how you meet them sets the tone for your ongoing relationship. So my approach has always been to meet with them individually and as a group, not just the people you have line management responsibility for, but all the people that you have overall responsibility for. You'll get a different perspective from those diverse members of the team and you need to hear from them all. So the third thing is talking to stakeholders. And and in that group, I would include internal stakeholders, such as end users, or external stakeholders, such as customers and suppliers. And they will tell you what they value about your team, your organisation, and what they aren't getting from you and what they'd like. And that all feeds into that kind of conversation, that bringing together of information. And from those conversations is the fourth piece, which is those themes that are emerging. What you're hearing that's good and can be developed even further and what you know people really need you to develop to kind of achieve Mm -hmm. the results that you want. And when you have all of that information, if you haven't already started to have the conversation with your line manager, about objectives, you should definitely start thinking about that. Um, What are the objectives that your line manager is expecting to achieve? And ensuring that, you know, as you set them up, they're clear, but also clarify the link with your organization's strategic objectives. Um, In my experience, you will have some input into your own objectives. So make sure that they can be measured and you can demonstrate quickly to the organisation how you're adding value. I mean, it's a really good idea to identify some quick wins that will benefit key stakeholders and agree with your line manager uh, how you'll get this delivered. So, for example, in one of my recent roles as director of technology, um, 
we knew that there were some devices that were causing people real headaches. They were slow, the screens were small, so there was a kind of health and safety dimension. And that was actually hindering our performance as an organization. But I knew if we created a program to replace those, it would really benefit the end users. It would really benefit us reputationally in the organization. And so we, we got that in place and we told people we we're gonna do it. And the excitement was really kind of great. It, it, it really built a positive starting point for our relationship with the organization and my team's relationship with the wider organization. And I think the other key factor is really leading your teams in as open and transparent a way as possible. So my next step is always to share my objectives with my direct reports and use those and the organizational strategy to help to develop their objectives. This really helps the team to kind of understand how they're contributing to the wider organization. And if there's a need to develop a strategy, which there really often is, um, for your business area, then you might have to set interim objectives until the final strategy is de de developed. But I think objectives should be live. They should be constantly changing. They shouldn't be in place, but kind of some fixed nominal, right, you've got these for a year. When you've done them, move on, get your next objective. It keeps everything moving forward. But aligning those objectives strategically is really important because then the whole team is pulling in the same direction and that's obviously really valuable um, and then so if you are developing a strategy you'll need to bring together all of that information you have from the organization from your team your stakeholders and that's often a really great time to meet with your team get them involved in developing the strategy they will have brilliant ideas and I think especially where a team hasn't felt listened to or hasn't been empowered to collaborate, it's a really good opportunity to set the tone of this is how we do things around here now. Um, and, and they will help you to achieve and pull, you know, again, in the same direction. And you'll be helping to build that sense of coalition. And, and the team that you choose to involve in your strategy development, they're going to be your ambassadors for the strategy. They'll help to sell the vision to the wider organization. They'll help to sell the, the you know, times when you've achieved. And that's always been really uh, successful for me. And, you know, throughout all of that, you'll be picking up what the cultural norms are. You know, you'll begin to understand, you know, what is normal in your team, what's normal in the wider organization. And you'll have some ideas about what you want to establish as cultural norms. So, you know, it typically in organizations there's too many meetings i'm overloaded with meetings so you can actually have a conversation with your team about like what are the cultural norms for us and and whilst there was a action for children we agreed meeting rules so we agreed that actually if you're in a meeting you didn't feel like you were contributing you could leave and that was really important because that saved people time if they're invited to something inappropriately um, we also agreed that we wouldn't multitask in meetings so that we were present because, I, you know, I think actually if people aren't really in the room, then what's the point of being in the room? You might as well leave if you're not going to contribute. Um, and we also there will be things that you will see in teams when you're leading and you think, actually, this doesn't sit well with me. And so on a couple of occasions, I've managed teams where there's been no check ins, no objectives. And it's kind of lead to a really dispersed effort 
And actually, you then can't see what collectively you're achieving. And so um, I've always tried to introduce those regular management check-ins, supervision, whatever, you know, your organisation calls them. And that expectation that you're going to have a collaborative dialogue with your team about what's going well, what isn't, so that you can make sure that things are moving in the right direction. So, you know, for me, I think as a manager, if you do those things, it sets the tone for the organisation. Fantastic. And I think, Vivian, you've given an, an excellent summary there in terms of everything a manager needs to do so I appreciate that and you've touched on some really really interesting points that I'm sure we'll dig into over the next 15-20 minutes or so um, but just before we do go into detail there as well building on that role building on those things that you need to do um, typically from the people we're speaking to we see people fall into one of two camps um, and of course one feeds into the other but we have some business value focused managers who see themselves looking to primarily deliver business value and the team is a mechanism to enable them to do that and then we have other managers that see themselves as um, their role overall being having to support and empower and develop their employees and business results are a result of that do you have an opinion on whereby you sit there so i think i don't sit in either camp because i don't think they're mutually exclusive i think it's you, you know, actually, with that approach that I've talked about, with that regular checking in, you are coaching, mentoring your team, you are enabling them to develop, you're looking for opportunities for them to grow, but you are also meeting the business needs of the organisation, you absolutely, that has to be a top priority as well. And I think if you do either one of those in exclusivity, you risk the other. And, you know, if it's all about business goals, you can lose sight of well-being. And my goodness, haven't we seen that in the pandemic? It's such a hot topic at the moment. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we have to be having a conversation with the employees. But if it's all about employees, then we uh, we we can lose sight of what the urgent problems we need to deal with. So I think, you know, um, and what's really important to the organisation to achieve its objectives. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive. And I think it's dangerous, actually, to see them in that way. I think it's really interesting. And I think certainly from your approach that you've outlined already, it shows how both of those appear throughout in terms of looking at culture, in terms of making sure you've got regular check-ins and making sure you're developing employees, whilst also making sure you understand business objectives, you're demonstrating that value back up to the business. So, no, I can absolutely see how, how your um structure enables you to do both uh, successfully as well okay that's really interesting so let's uh dig into that 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 kind of structure a little bit more um vivian and let's do it from the point of view of what you believe your superpowers are where your strengths lie so where where would we say in terms of throughout your career where's vivian's super superpowers so um one of the things that i think i've done repeatedly and delivered really good results is actually around performance improvement And that can be with individuals or it can be with teams. So, you know, I've worked with many teams where the stakeholders have been unhappy about what was being delivered. And that always needs to be tackled promptly. Um, If you're working in the public sector, uh, underperformance is consuming critical resources, taxpayer money. There's a whole reputational issue as well as the service users that you're supposed to be supporting in whatever way you know you need to. If you're working in the not-for-profit sector, 
for instance, every hard-earned pound that somebody's put in your bucket, your collection bucket, that fibre that's come out of that little old lady's pension pot, it's been really hard-earned for them, and actually it's really hard-earned for the organisation. So mm-hmm. it's got to deliver value. And, um, I, you know, I think we've got to think about tackling those challenging issues really early on. So for me, actually, that's a massive motivator. I really enjoy turning around poor performance because I think you can do it collaboratively with your team. And if you've got an unhappy customer, whatever stage in your career, if you can turn them up that person's perception of your organisation or your service around, that there is nothing better than that. Um, and so for me, um, one of the jobs I did on my second day, I was told, actually, um, if this service isn't turned around in the next six months, we're going to cut all of the funding. Now, nobody had mentioned this during the interview process, I might add. So there was quite a clear motivator to get, get some real service improvements delivered. And the way that I did that was by clarifying everybody's objectives for a start. So everybody knew what they were needing to achieve. And then talking to and listening to stakeholders, you know, being as transparent with them as I could be, and and then talking to them about what we plan to do and then telling them when we'd actually done that. So that's been critical all the way through. And then challenging underperformance. I mean, having a really honest conversation with individuals and with teams about what is expected you know have a conversation about why and often there's a really good reason so it might be oh the the, the software doesn't do that thing that we need it to do or there's a barrier in the organization that's in you know hampered our communication whatever it is so quite often there will be a reason and you can work together as a team by having that open and transparent communication to remove that and then turn the performance around. Sometimes, unfortunately, there will be somebody in a role that it's, you know, they just aren't able to do the role for whatever Mm. reason. And in my view, it's as unfair to that employee as it is to the organisation to keep them Mm. in that role. And so it needs, it's tough, but it does need to be managed. And I think throughout all of that, you need to kind of manage upwards. You need to be keeping your line manager or your trustees or your board or whomever informed. Be transparent about what the challenges are. Be transparent about your plans. Be transparent about the kind of progress and improvements. And one of the things that I've really learned is about that, the value of communication. Mm. And again, it sounds really obvious, but... Um, you, there is that advertising kind of uh, motive, isn't there, that is about it takes nine times for people to listen to what you are telling them. And I think when you have some good news, don't just say it once and expect mm. people to have heard or listened to it. Really keep telling people, explain the benefits that the changes you've made will have on them as a stakeholder. And so, you know, for me, with this organization I was working with that I started talking about, we started talking to, there was a group of very unhappy stakeholders. And just by listening to them, that took a lot of the tension out of the, of the relationship, that commitment we jointly planned, how we were going to respond to it. I worked with the team, we responded to it, and they turned into our biggest advocates. They were so supportive. It was really, it was 
brilliant and and you know great to have those advocates absolutely and, and i love the framework around that, that you work through that as well and if okay, I just want to spend a couple of minutes digging into a few of those points a little bit more as well. So in terms of clarity of objectives to, to start with, obviously one of the most challenging parts here is getting that clarity from the people, the board or your boss above you. Um, have you ever experienced any challenges in terms of actually being able to nail down what it is your team is trying to achieve because of the way people above you are operating? Uh, yeah, I have actually, and it is really difficult. So I've worked in organisations where there is no overall organisational strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked in departments where there is no departmental strategy, and that's a real challenge. But I think if you're lacking leadership um, at that level, actually, it's it's quite often within your gift to say, this is our strategy, this is our vision and our mission, this is what we intend to, uh, to achieve. If you're communicating transparently and openly, people can have an opportunity to say we don't yeah. like that or don't yeah. do it like that. And so I think it's it's it, you know it, it's not uncommon to be operating in a vacuum. So it's within your gift as a leader, and I would say take grasp the nettle and get on with it. No, that, that that's great. And then in terms of then communicating that down, quite a tactical question here. Um, but again, setting goals, setting KPIs, objectives to, to people um, underneath you. Do you have anything that works in particular for you in terms of do you use OKRs or do you use any particular methodology to actually communicate and then track those goals? So for, for me, um, the, the method that I've most recently used, which actually proved to be really successful, is for people to be able to see how their objectives feed into the organization's objectives. So if people understand that, that's one kind of step in the the kind of success uh, equation. Um, And then also, um, I think it's really important for you to have that periodic review about what progress is being made. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of debate at the moment, isn't there, around are APRs a waste of time or not? In my experience, I think there needs to be a cadence. So you have your APRs and they they can be light touch. They can be some kind of big exercise. I think there's probably a middle ground, which works really well. And that needs to be um, needs to have some kind of uh, intermittent uh, supervision catch up. thing. For me, that was monthly because that was the cadence that worked in our organization. And actually, with some of my key leaders, I would then meet week to week. Now, that wasn't necessarily about me checking that they were doing their work. That wasn't the point. It was about removing barriers to enable them to do their work. So I was very much as a leader, a remover of barriers, a remover of problems, somebody who was going to facilitate or enable my team to get stuff done so that we were supporting the organization to achieve its objectives. No, I think that's, that's again, great, great advice there. Um, moving on that framework slightly, um, just wanted to touch on challenging underperformance as well. I, I know this is something that a lot of people really struggle with, particularly earlier on in, in leadership and managerial career. Is it mm-hmm. being able to ask tough questions? It's being able to um, actually call people out for underperformance and doing it in a way that's constructive and doesn't become um, antagonistic. Have you got any advice there for, for, for people that, have concerns around those areas? Yeah, I once had, um, uh, we once participated in a session from this guy um, and he said, there are no such things as difficult conversations. 
by going in with that attitude, you're already kind of undermining the success of the conversation. It took me a long time to get my head around that. I actually think it's true. So actually having a conversation which is open and non-judgmental will open the doors to you having a really honest relationship. Um, and I think that dialogue is really important. So where there is underperformance, you've got a set of objectives. You agree a time frame by which they're going to achieve a particular thing. It's not me telling that person. It's a negotiation. So can you do this thing by two weeks? Right, we'll meet in two weeks to see whether that thing has been done mm-hmm. and if there are any barriers. And please get in touch with me in the in- meantime if there are challenges that you can't overcome yourself. And actually, that in that kind of dialogue and that transparent way of communicating, actually, if that person can't do that job, quite often, in my experience, they will realise that they aren't able to achieve and they will make the decision that this isn't quite the right role for them. Equally, I've seen some people go through performance management and it's like a penny has dropped. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That clarity and that support and that open dialogue really helps them to accelerate. And so, and ultimately, that's what you want to achieve, isn't it? You mm-hmm. want to enable somebody to develop and grow so that they can become the best person and support your organizational objectives. No, I, I think that's a great way of looking at it as well. It's removing the psychological fear of it actually being a difficult conversation to have and actually you're there to ultimately support that employee become better or help them realize that it's not the right role for them. So I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, right. Okay, moving before we, before we move on to challenges, just want to check any more superpowers or anything that you want to talk there in terms of things you think you've done particularly well throughout your, your leadership career? So there is one other thing, which is I got some advice and I think this is advice that I'd like to share with other leaders out there. And that is to be brave. And I'll give you an example. So so I I started a job and and one of the kind of senior leadership in the organisation said, be brave. And I've actually really taken that on board. Um, And on the first task when I was in that position that I had to do was to reduce my budget by 25%, which is it was a massive amount. Um, and, And that was because of funding constraints, which all leaders will be faced with at some point in their careers. Uh, And it's also never a nice task. You know, I've had to kind of restructure teams on numerous occasions. But I'd inherited a model that I was expected to implement. And I knew that there were some major challenges in the team. So I I just knew that I was going to have to make some decisions that weren't going to align to that kind of previous model. And, And I felt that I needed to sleep on it which I did, and um, but I did ultimately make some very, what felt like difficult decisions, um, but they were definitely the right thing, and that team went on to deliver absolutely phenomenal results. But I think it's really important to, to, to be clear that being brave isn't about being bullish or not listening. Being brave is as much about acting with integrity Um, as it is about making difficult decisions and in that particular situation like I said I had to sleep on my decision so that I could be absolutely clear that the decision was defensible and I felt comfortable with it and aligned to it in terms of my own values as well as the values of the organisation but it was ultimately definitely the right decision. 
no, thank you for sharing that. I think that's a great piece of advice for all people, regardless of where they are in their, in their career as well. I think that's a, something that everyone should hold by. So thank you for that, Vivian. Um, okay, so moving on now to the other side of things, we spoke about um, where your superpowers have lay, where you've made, managed to have big impact. Um, let's talk about some of the things that have been the biggest challenges for you throughout this journey as well. Um, so where, where should we start? How about starting with imposter syndrome? <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a good place to start and I think a lot of people will resonate yeah and I think it you know there's a lot of conversation about it being experienced particularly by women mm-hmm. um, and as a woman working in technology I know there are a lot of women in tech that have experienced it but I also know there's a lot of men who experience mm-hmm. imposter syndrome and I wonder if they just don't talk about it quite as much um, but definitely uh when I was starting out in my role as director of technology, I felt massive imposter syndrome. Mm. And I knew that fear actually was impeding my ability to deliver. Mm. It's not, you know, when you are fearful, it doesn't have a good impact on your management or your leadership style. Mm. And so there were a few things I kind of really needed to do. So one of them was to get a mentor and to really just talk about it. And I did that really quickly, got that person in place and made sure that I was talking through and they could really challenge, you know, why are you, why don't you think you can do this job? What Mm. what are you pretending at? And um, how is that kind of coming out in your team? So so the mentor is, is really important. And I think at any stage in your career, you can have many mentors that give you Mm. different things. And they don't even have to know their mentors, actually, but they will be providing you with that kind of leadership support. Um, The other thing is over a period of time, my observation was that the sky hadn't fallen in, in actual fact. You know, the world hadn't ended uh, and things were starting to change and things, good things were starting to happen. And just taking the time to reflect on successes is actually really important. Every day you're ma- moving forward, every day you're making progress, actually that demonstrates that the imposter syndrome, you just need to put it away and um, stop, stop it actually. <laughs> um, and then I think when you first start out, I think there is something about being transparent. So often people through that fear and that sense of imposter syndrome will be scared, for instance, to ask questions but actually, if somebody doesn't understand something, ask the stupid question because there'll be somebody else who also doesn't understand. Uh-huh. And you're not only helping yourself to understand, you're helping that team member to communicate clearer because there uh-huh. will be other senior leaders who will be too scared to ask a question, frankly. And so I've stopped being scared of asking the stupid question because generally speaking, it isn't a stupid question. So, you know... Uh, and I've tried to kind of create that acceptance in my team that there are no stupid questions. Ask the question, because if you don't, later mm. down the line, you, you know, actually, that could be a real problem. Mm. Uh, I think it's great advice in terms of uh, overcoming it as well. Maybe if we talk about some of the impacts as well, because I think you're absolutely right. I think many more people have imposter syndrome and maybe don't talk about it and therefore don't overcome it as fast. So maybe if we speak about some of the impacts that it had on you earlier on in your career or a particular time when it really affected you that 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 would be good for people to hear 
Um, I think, so my career has definitely not gone in a straight line. I didn't start out in technology. Um, I started out as a cellist, randomly, um, worked in the not-for-profit sector, um, and, and actually, so because my jobs have each been very different, I've quite often experienced imposter syndrome because I'm going into a role in a context which quite often I know nothing about. And that's where I've learned that actually there are no stupid questions. Ask the questions, uh, ask people to give you their input and, and advice. And it, it, it's, it's really critical actually that um, you do that as quickly as possible. I've also had mentors throughout my working life and some of those mentors have been leadership mentors and some of those have been like technical experts. So, you know, if I'm working in uh, children's services, then I need a children's services mentor. If I'm working in technology, I need a tech mentor as well as that kind of overall leadership. So I think finding those right mentors and not being too proud to have a mentor. I was having a conversation with a business studies student recently and he was saying he didn't want to ask for help. He wanted to manage it all himself. And I was trying, you know, I was explaining to him, actually, everybody needs help in their career. Nobody yeah. is an island that can just do everything by themselves. That's not how the world works. So, yeah, overcome that kind of perspective. If that's something that you hold, that mentorship is so valuable. And you'll be able to give back to somebody else in the organisation by kind of participating in that type of relationship. No, I, I think, again, talking about mentors is really important. And I completely agree with you. I think that you should always have mentors throughout your career for many different skills and many different things that you're working on and things you're trying to improve. Have you got any advice for people, as I know there'll be a subset of the audience here, that need a mentor for a particular skill, but don't have access to anybody within their organization or within their close network that, that can help help them there. And again, that could happen right at the top of organization where there's not many people up there, but also it could work at the, at the bottom of a small organization where there's not a big pool of people to actually work with. Have you got any advice for how to go out and look for those people that can be that support network for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've, I've started um, uh, quite recently actually just reaching out to people via LinkedIn that I really admire saying, do you have time for half an hour's coffee? You know, the virtual world has opened things up to make it a hell of a lot easier actually. Um, and the vast majority of people are really happy to share their experience about a subject that they love. Um, and so I would really encourage people to do that. And it, you know, I, I know that if I was approached by somebody who wanted to find out about working in the not-for-profit sector or being a woman in tech, I know that I'd really be keen to encourage that person mm. to develop and grow. Vast majority of cases that, that you get that response back, and that's brilliant. No, brilliant. No, I think, again, and it links back up to your uh, your bravery superpower as well. So it, it's being brave to reach out to people and ask for help. So I, I like that. I think that that rounds that off quite nicely. Um, we're, we're massively running over time, Vivian, because I, I think I could speak to you about many of these things forever. Um, but let, let's um, let, let's wrap this up then with looking back at um, over your leadership journey, your leadership career. Um, can you point to a point in time or an event or something that you did that had a, a significant impact um, amongst your team? Um, so one of the things that I've done with with a few teams um, has been to use personality tests. 
Okay. And I think it's really important to um, not think about them as a kind of a scientific tool. Um, it's, it's a way of, of starting a conversation with your team. So I've used the DIRT personality test. It's free. It's on the Internet. You know, anybody can download the resources. Um, and, but what we were doing, we were developing a strategy, but we were finding we were massively overloaded. Mm-hmm. And so we did this DIRT personality test. And what it showed us was that nearly everybody in the team was a doer. We mm-hmm. liked take on new tasks, get them on, delivered, and, and then move on to the next thing. And what we were lacking was reflectors and thinkers. And so it, that created a real problem for us because we were all taking on massive amount of work and we were completely overloaded, to be honest. And so what we could do by, ha- by taking on that, um, that, 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 that personality testing and really unpicking our roles in the team, it va- helped us to value those individuals, the minority of individuals that brought that other uh, perspective to the conversation. Mm-hmm. We also planned in a much more realistic way. Unfortunately, so we've made this lovely realistic plan. We dropped a whole bunch of stuff or we deferred it, pushed it down the line because we thought, right, it's not urgent. It can wait. Then we had a global pandemic. So but actually having done that personality test, we knew that we got doers in the team. And actually we used that knowledge to help us to navigate our way, particularly through the beginning of the pandemic, when that's what you absolutely need, those doers to get Mm. stuff done. So you can continue to deliver your business or your service or whatever. So so that was a really transformative, very simple tool to use that that started a great conversation in our team. And we kind of referred back to it over the next two years. Oh, that's because we're a doer. That's because he's a reflector, whatever. So it was a really good uh, tool to use. No, that's great. So it, it, it made you self-aware as a leader and aware of what you, your other um, employees where their skills lay so you, you could plan effectively so you could make sure people weren't taking on the right wrong things you can get diverse opinions from different people uh, I guess it could also link into hiring as well so wanting to fill certain gaps that maybe the team's deficient in it giving you that uh, the, the tool to demonstrate that so no I, I really like that video yeah it's it's a great tool I I'm not I'm not sure whether I would use it in hiring okay. because I don't think they're scientific enough and I also think that people change the role that they're in. So I know that there'll be times in my career when I'm definitely in that doing mode, but there'll also be times of my career when I'm more of a thinker. And actually, as well as kind of thinking about team dynamics, you can think and look at scores and think, actually, I need to be more of a thinker. I need to kind of consciously build in some time to encourage that thinking or that reflective practice so that that becomes integrated into my leadership practice. Um, so, so I probably use it in that in that way. What really impressed me about Vivian was how considered and measured she is in her approach to leadership. Everything has a repeatable process that's tried, tested, and she knows works. As part of the 10X community, we have a call to action each week. This week, it's around personality tests. Vivian shared how she used the DIRT personality test to identify the strengths and weaknesses of the characters of the people in her team and use that to then plan and delegate resources and tasks effectively. We're asking the 10X community this week to carry out a DIRT personality test 
with each of their employees and to identify things that you didn't already know about your staff. We then want you to jump into the community and share your learnings and feedback that you have from taking the test so that others can learn from your experience. If you're not already a member of the 10X Managers community, go to 10xmanagers.com and sign up. There you'll be able to find the full video interview, the write-up summary that we've created from the interview, as well as a lot of downloadable attachments, resources and guidance. But this week includes a free DIRT personality test for you to use with your employees. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation and took value from the insight Vivian had to share. But most importantly, you go away and you implement some of the change that Vivian has asked you to make.